Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. On this uh, week's edition, I think you're really going to enjoy this. We have a uh, conversation with Fox Sports play-by-play broadcaster Gus Johnson, one of the most recognizable voices in sports broadcasting. You hear his work on Fox Sports both in college football and in college basketball and uh, basically a, an iconic voice when it comes to uh, calling a exciting play. And uh, Gus Johnson uh, starts off his season this Saturday, in fact, with Ohio State hosting uh, Florida Atlantic on Fox at noon. They are followed, or they, he is followed by two of my colleagues from The Athletic, college football national writers Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. Bruce Feldman, also a reporter on Fox Sports. I also want to note they are the co-hosts of The Audible with Stu and Bruce which you should definitely check out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. We discuss the biggest storylines of the college football season, talk about college football access, what they'd add to the television coverage of college football, and the podcast market for college football right now. So two really, really cool conversations. First, Gus Johnson for about 40 minutes or so, and then that is followed by Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel, both coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top... Uh, his voice will need no introduction. It is Gus Johnson, uh, one of the uh, one of the more well-known sports broadcasters of his era, and uh, almost of any era, I would say. He has been a guest on this podcast before when it was at Sports Illustrated, and he joins me again on the Sports Media Podcast. Gus, good to be with you. Good to catch up with you again. Hey, Deitch, man. Nice to be with you, and uh, congratulations on your move from Sports Illustrated to The Athletic, and I uh, hope everything is going along pretty smooth to start. I appreciate that. All right, Gus, I want to start with this. I remember how much I enjoyed your call of the Texas-Oklahoma uh, game last year. I think that was 48-45. And uh, Dicker the Kicker, if I remember right, won that game. And it got me thinking, uh, what, what for you would you consider the most enjoyable or most memorable college football game that you've called? And I ask that, of course, as we are very close to the start of your season with Fox. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's an interesting question because I've had a chance to be in so many great games, a part of so many great games. Uh, you know, that game was wonderful. It was the Red River rivalry. and It's a high-scoring game with two great teams. And, uh, and that kid came in as a freshman and, and, and hit that big kick and, and everybody was excited on the Texas sideline, kind of a signature win for them. But uh, looking back on it, you know, I mean, I've been calling games, college football games, dating back to my time at CBS in the SEC. So I used to do a lot of those games, the Big East back then as well. But uh, since really getting into college football at Fox, I'd say some of those Big Ten championship games have been just, magical and also the cotton bowl when i had johnny manzel and he had a, a, a wonderful game uh the year he won the heisman trophy but uh, the game that stands out to me uh was ohio state and wisconsin when cardale jones started in the big 10 championship after jt barrett got hurt and he came in and they just pounded wisconsin and cardale was the uh, MVP of that game, and he made some huge throws, and 
and they went on to win the national championship that year. That one really sticks out because, you know, at the top of the broadcast, the thing that Charles Davis and I said at that time was, this game is all about Cardale Jones. And uh, he went out and delivered. And, uh, and that's something I'll never forget. Gus, how do you know when to raise the level of your call, your voice, your pitch? Is it is it instinctive at this point, or uh, or are you thinking about when when you're going to rev it up? No, I never think about that. I'm a I'm an excitable human. First of all, I love sports. Uh, sports are the love of my life. It saved me. It it, it made me the man I am today. And it's the reason that I'm getting an opportunity to talk to you on the phone. It's given me my my life. It feeds my children. And I just love sports. I love to delight in the excellence of other people. That really makes me happy when I see these young men and women out there on the field or the court or whatever they're doing, um, participating for their schools or participating for their professional teams and and giving it all they have and the sacrifices that they make. So when those moments come in the game, it's, it's nothing that I that I even think about. Nothing is contrived. It's my natural excitement for what I'm seeing in front of me. Um, and I know that for these, these men and women that are out there on the field competing, that you know they're going to go home and watch these games. And their friends are going to talk to them about it. And, um when they do well, if, 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 if we highlight their success, uh, these games become family heirlooms. And that's something that I think about in the back of my mind. So I always, I just want to give it up to people and, 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 and pat them on the back when they're doing good. So I'm excited about that. Gus, conversely, something I think you've become really good at is laying out the, the use of silence in a broadcast. Um, so how do you decide when to lay out after something happens? I think it's a feel thing, Richard. Uh, sometimes, you know, if it's football, we're on for four hours, basketball for a couple of hours. And the great thing about being a sports broadcaster at my level is uh, it's such a blessing. It's such a, it's such a privilege to be able to be a part of this in that stadium or in that arena. And sometimes the crowds are so electric it's almost like we're connected with the same spirit or brain or emotion. And what happens is during certain moments when you experience that climactic point in the game, sometimes there's nothing to say except just watch what's going on and feel what's going on. I always say to myself, if you can hear it, then you can feel it. And I want to make sure that, you know, I give the listeners or the viewers an opportunity to to hear it for themselves. and That'll allow them to feel it. And sometimes I think the most important thing is for me to shut my pie hole and uh, let the pictures and the sounds carry the game or carry the moment. Gus, you, Joel Klatt, Jenny Taft open your season on Saturday, August 31st, with Ohio State against FAU. That's Ryan Day's first game as a head coach at Ohio State. Uh, we'll give the plug here, 12 o'clock 
on Big Fox. Uh, how, Gus, do you know your schedule uh, at this point for the entire 2019 season? And if not, how many weeks ahead do you already know the college games you'll be doing? Well, right now, we don't know the schedule for the entire season, but we know the first three weeks. First week is, uh, is uh, Ohio State, Florida, Atlantic. Second week is Army at Michigan, which I think is going to be a great game. Uh, and the third week is Ohio State at Indiana. So then after the first three weeks, we start watching what's going on and, and we get the chance to pick the best game uh, based on how the teams are playing and, and, and how big the schools are. So we don't, we don't know for the entire year, but we do know, you know early and then we get it like about two weeks in advance uh, after the first uh, three weeks. Gus, does the 12 o'clock kickoff um, change anything for you? My initial thought was, uh, you know, for certain broadcasters, sort of the biorhythms of their body that would impact them. Calling a game at noon is different if you're used to calling games at night. How does that shift? Uh, what does that shift mean for you, if anything? Man, I mean, I got to leave the bar earlier the night before the game. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be staying up because I know if I have a night game, I got time to sleep a little later, get up, get a workout, blah, blah, blah. But now I got to. I had to get my butt in the bed and, and, and discipline myself to get some rest. And, you know, sometimes when you're on TV and you're talking in front of, you know, a lot of people, millions at time, you know, there's a certain kind of anxiety that you have the night before, especially. You want to do well. You want to make sure you cover all the bases and you dot your I's and cross your T's. And so sometimes you can stay up. But, uh, you know, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. So, uh I know how to make the adjustment and I'm going to have to make an adjustment for these noon starts. I don't, I don't like having to call a game that early, but that's the, that's the, you know, what our executives think we need to be doing. So I make that adjustment, get in bed, get my rest, you know, uh, so I can focus the next day, get up early, uh, get a little workout in, get a little burn and then get to the stadium and, and be ready to rock and roll. Uh, just tell Fox Sports President Eric Shanks to send you the wake up call, Gus. Every you know at seven a.m. or yeah, a. exactly. Uh, you your current yeah, we all I would too with noon stars. Uh, your current assignments, Gus, are obviously you're the um, lead play by play broadcaster for Fox's college football coverage. You have the lead when it comes to um, Fox and FS1's college basketball coverage with their Big East package. At the moment, are is there another current assignment that you have? No, that's pretty much it for right now. Um, college basketball and college football, which is a, which is a lot on my plate. Uh, but, you know, Fox, we're always acquiring new assets, new properties. So you never know what might happen down the road. That leads me to my question, Gus. You called, um, you called Milwaukee Bucks games on Fox Sports Wisconsin from 2015 to 2018. Uh, that's a front row seat for Giannis, which must have been awesome. Um, where does it stand? Gus, so many people, obviously, you know, both of us are from New York. So I remember you from your long Knicks tenure. And I think a lot of people relate you, even with your current assignments, to the NBA. Uh, how would you rate your level of interest in trying to get – another NBA gig, even if it's for just uh, like a select group of games or a select schedule? I really want to get back to the NBA. I love the NBA. I grew up with the NBA. Right now, it doesn't seem like uh, it's feasible. I don't... You got an NBA job for me, Rich? Well, 
you got look one? around my uh, my Rolodex, Gus. I mean, I would think that there's yeah, got to be I mean, a, there's got to be a it's got to be a team out there that would at least bring you in for five to ten games. That'd be nice. I'd love it. It'd be fun. Um, but uh, right now, that that doesn't look like it's a it's a possibility. But uh, when it comes to the National Basketball Association, especially with what they're doing now, I mean, it's so exciting. And, you know, there is no offseason with the NBA. It was so much fun watching all this free agency stuff and Anthony Davis going to Los Angeles, Kawhi Leonard going to the Clippers and, and, and Paul George. It's, you know, those two big stories, Kawhi and KD going to Brooklyn and the Knicks not getting anybody, of course. But uh, it, it's it was so much fun watching that, and the NBA is such a tremendous league. I would say it's the best league, professional league in the world, bar none. And uh, and I would love to have a chance to get back in there and uh, and be a part. Yeah, Gus. Listen, selfishly, uh, and I'm not looking for these guys to give up games because I think they're probably, in my opinion, at the top of uh, the NBA when it comes to regional broadcast. But I'd love to see you do some Nets games. You got Ian Eagle, Sarah Kustak, Ryan Rucco. That is a good group already. Let me slot Gus Johnson in for like five games. KD, Kyrie Irving in a year from now. I would love to. And it's Brooklyn, which is, you know, you, you, we both know all about Brooklyn. So that would be, that's what yeah. I'd love to see. That's, that's, I'm making my pitch right now for you, Gus. All right. Well, from your mouth to God's ears <laughs> and to an NBA broadcast executive's mind. You know, let's make that happen. The power of right. positive thinking. So right. hopefully something like that will happen and, uh, and you'll get 10%. I'll, I'll send you a, 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 a Vimo <laughs> <laughs> with the 10%. I appreciate that. Happens, that. Brother, might be more, that, be, that. that might be more than regular agents, Gus, so I really appreciate that. You know what? I'm kind of proud that I, I, I mentioned the word Vimo. I'm such a computer illiterate person, but I do know how to send money because I got to do – Venmo. Is it Venmo or uh, Venmo? I'm Ven- sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still computer illiterate. I'm sitting next to my boy Joel Klatt. We're playing golf right now. And he had to correct me as young guys have to do with old Geritol dudes. <laughs> You're on the court. Yeah, you, I'm, but, you know, you could have gone to uh, – I thought you might go to PayPal, which also would put you in 2019. So it's well done. That's right, man. I got, post, I got Postmates on my phone now. I can order stuff, DoorDash. Man, I'm excited, man. I got Venmo. Is it Venmo? Venmo. Venmo. And DoorDash yes. and Postmates and all that stuff, man. I can. And I tell you what, I tell you what, I've been doing this Amazon thing, man. You know, on Amazon, you can order anything <laughs> in the world and it comes to your house the next day. It's awesome. Gus, it's like you're Columbus. You just saw the new world, Gus. Congratulations. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of the dark ages, Deitch. Um,. Gus, for you, uh, given that you've called, I mean, so many sports basically, you know, NBA we, we mentioned, college football, college basketball, uh, international, global soccer, et cetera. Speaking of college football, what are the challenges unique to calling college football, Gus? What specifically is challenging about that sport? Well, what's really challenging about college football, unlike the NBA, the NFL that has, what, a 53-man roster. You know, college football, we have 100 guys on each team with double numbers. A number five can be playing running back. The number five can be playing defensive tackle. So that's kind of challenging. It's a pain in the butt sometimes because the coaches have so many players that sometimes they forget, and all of a sudden, you know, Joel and I will be up there calling the game, and here comes number 89, 
and onto the field making plays, and we don't have an 89 on the depth chart, on the roster, not even in the uh, press guide. So you get a little jittery sometimes when you don't know, but you just don't know. And sometimes we even have to go on the air when that happens and say, hey, they, the coaches didn't talk to us about number 89, uh, Dan uh, Trebinsky. And I'm sorry that we didn't know about him, but nobody told us. So Bill Snyder didn't tell us about 89. And I think that's one of the big challenges. Sometimes we're also in stadiums because some of these stadiums sit 80, 90 to 100,000 people. We are really, really, really up on a high perch, like a 16, 17-story building. And with some of these new uniforms, they can be hard to see the numbers uh, Six can look like a five, can look like an eight, can you know. So that's that's kind of difficult sometimes. But all in all, I think uh, it's it's a pretty seamless process. Gus, I want to ask you about social media because you have a Twitter account, but you have not tweeted at least as I'm looking at this since May 25th, 2012. So you are you are clearly not active on that, and I wonder at least active putting out stuff, and I wonder. Th- is that an intentional choice? And if so, what what is your thinking behind that? I'm just too old for all that stuff, man. I don't have time for social media. I don't I don't feel like it. I don't I don't think anybody's interested in knowing what I think and seeing what I see. It's just I my whole goal when I'm not working and I'm not spending time with my family is to be able to hit a five iron, 185 yards to a spot. That's what I want to focus on because uh, I'm plugged in enough. And when I'm not working, I want to unplug. So I kind of like being in my little matrix. I'm not taking that blue pill. I take the red pill all day long. The red pill, didn't that keep you in the matrix? I believe. So I just want to just, just be and live and not have so many things to think about or listen to people's opinions or even, you know, offer mine because I don't think anybody really cares. So I leave, the, I leave the social media, I leave the social media to the young cats, man. I think that's, that's, that's for them. It, uh, it brings up a point Gus. And that is, as you know, um, social media is a place where people in sports sometimes will discuss social issues, race, politics. Um, I know you're well aware that ESPN has made it clear that they don't want their uh, their front-facing people, their sort of public people, someone like yourself, to be discussing politics on their social media. Interestingly enough, Fox is not as uh, tight with that. They're not as strict with that. But it, 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 um, it brings up a question, um, Gus, that I want to ask you, and that is... Um, do you ever do you ever want a place to discuss things away from sports? Because um, I know that because uh, in the past I've read when you've done interviews you've discussed uh, issues of race and and issues of politics. I'm going to ask you about Kaepernick and Jay Z on this podcast. So I just wonder philosophically um, how you view the notion of broadcasters um, doing that publicly. Well, my father, man, who was a great man who uh, I loved and who, more importantly, I believed. I believed everything he told me, meaning if my father would have said the moon was made of cheese, I would have brought crackers (laughs) because daddy said it, all right? 
So Daddy used to always say, man, do your best in life, especially now that you're a public figure, to stay away from talking about politics and religion. Hmm. And it's a, it's a safe place to be in. I, you know, my opinions about politics are opinions that I keep to myself. And I share with people that are close to me. I don't think that as a broadcaster, I have the qualifications or the, uh, the, the, the right, really, to talk about what's going on politically. Because I'm a broadcaster, but I'm a storyteller and I'm a journalist. So there are always facts and situations and subtext that you don't see at face value. So to have an opinion on something that you, you really don't know everything that's going on, I think is, uh, is not good. So I try to stay away from, from all that. If somebody asks me a question about certain things and I feel like giving an opinion, I will. And if I don't, I'll say, I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on to the next subject. But I, I like being a sportscaster. I like, as, as I was telling you, I like keeping my life very simple. I want to stay out of trouble. I don't want any uh, bull crap invading my life. And, you know, I've been doing this almost 30 years now, and I think I've, I've, I'm accomplishing that goal, and I want to continue on this path. I, I, I appreciate that uh, you're responding to that. Um, the, uh, the Jay-Z Kaepernick situation does um, nexus the sports and politics and social justice world. Um, you know that he was brought in to be a advisor to the NFL in terms of their musical acts and beyond. Uh, you've called NFL games in the past. Is that something uh, you want to offer your thoughts on, uh, that, that news of the day? Well, you know, I think that's a very complicated and a delicate situation. Um, with Colin Kaepernick and, and Jay-Z taking on this new role with the NFL. I, I, I applaud Colin's courage. You know, he's made an incredible sacrifice his career as a young man, and he's getting older. So the days to play quarterback are, 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 are coming to an end for him because he's been out of the league for a certain amount of time. But, you know, he made that sacrifice and made a political statement and very similar to, John Carlos and Bobby Smith when they competed in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City and they uh, threw up the black power sign. Life ended up becoming hard for them for a very long time, those two gentlemen. But they decided to make that sacrifice and in a sense to become martyrs, as is Colin Kaepernick with this situation. So I understand the sensitivity that that side will have based on that social injustice that took place. But on the other side, I really listened to what Jay-Z said, and it was very interesting. He's a fascinating man, a brilliant man, a chess master, uh, always 10 steps ahead. And... You know, if I had to do the play-by-play of, of what he said, here's how it would go. You know, he huddled everybody up, and, you know, he's serving as a quarterback. And he basically said, look, I was so inspired by Colin 
statement and Colin's actions that I decided that I was called to action. So he said to himself, look, what can I do? He was probably sitting in the Bata drinking margaritas with his boy Tata. And he said, what? What should I do? He said, man, you should own a team. And this is how I interpreted it. And he said, you know what? You're right. So let me get into partnership with the NFL and let me see if I can, you know, get a ownership stake in a team. And if that transpires, then African-Americans, especially, I mean, you, you know, you look at, at pro sports and you over time have seen uh, young owners serve in a sense as apprentices to older owners, Abe Poland with the Wizards, uh, Art Modell, Ted Leonsis, I think it's Ted Leonsis, or, you know, one of the two, Art Modell and the Ravens, the owners sat there for a while and inherited the team and then uh, became the owner. And if that can happen for a guy like Jay-Z, I mean, just think about all the positive things that can take place. Uh, an African-American will sit at that table for an eternity because I'm sure he'd pass it all along to his family. And so those decisions that are made in that room with those gentlemen and those very powerful gentlemen will always uh, have an influence of an African-American person. And more than that, you know, he's doing business with his company, Rock Nation, which is a global brand. And whatever team he associates himself with or gets an ownership piece of, you know, he's going to bring millions and millions of dollars to that city, to that community having concerts, which is a year-round thing, and, you know, people getting jobs to you know, further their lives. I think that I'm so proud of him. I'm, I'm proud of that man. That man is a good man, and he's a smart man, and I trust him implicitly. So uh, I understand both sides, but that's kind of how I see it. And, uh and hopefully it'll work out smoothly, but I don't, I don't see him as doing anything wrong. I, matter of fact, I see him as doing everything right. He was called into action, and his action is, okay, I was so moved by Colin Kaepernick's uh, uh, position and statement and sacrifice that I wanted to do something about it, and this is what I'm doing about it. I'm going to become an owner. My company is going to do business with the NFL. I'm going to get under the hood, and I'm going to help my constituents who are African-American people. Gus, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, a couple more here, and then I'll let you go. You, um, you've been at Fox since, uh, if my math is right here, at least for college football, 2011, and college basketball since 2013, after a long run at CBS. How would you compare um, the two cultures uh, between Fox and and CBS, and what are the similarities of working at both, and what are the differences of working at both? Um, I think it's, the similarities are great people at both companies, nice people. I haven't met a bad person since I've been in broadcasting, especially at those two places. Uh, people that care about what they do, take a lot of pride in, in being broadcasters um, and coming into people's homes and spending hours and hours with them, talented people. Uh, I don't really see very much of a difference. You know, the biggest difference, I guess, would be one's on the West Coast in Los Angeles, and the other one is in New York. So it's just a right. different feel. 
when you're out in L.A., go to the lot at Fox, the sun is shining and the palm trees are blowing around in the wind as opposed to when you go to New York and cabs are honking and sirens are blaring and that's about it. But uh, all in all, we, 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 we all have the same goal, which is to be great broadcasters and, and, and give the people something to watch and make their experience grand. And, and I think uh, both companies do a terrific job of, of making sure that takes place. Gus, you have worked with a lot of different analysts at this point. Uh, you know, you're golfing right now with Joel Klatt. You got a long relationship with Bill Raftery. You worked before that with Charles Davis. I mean, at this point, the probably your analyst uh, partners are probably in the 50s or 60s or 70s. Um, how do you approach uh, or how have you approached when you've had a, a new partner? How do you make that chemistry work when it's a new person, a particular person you've never worked with before? Well, I think the most important thing is, is to try to be friends. And in order to be friends, you kind of have to understand each other, where we're coming from, what's your background, how, what's your upbringing, and you know, what are your thoughts on, on, on life and love and family. And once that happens, and when it happens organically over time, I think that the broadcasting stuff kind of takes care of itself. Uh, the guys that I call game with most of us come from totally different backgrounds, which is kind of refreshing uh, to be able to get to know somebody that's different from you and had a different life experience than you. Uh, working with my partner, Joel Klatt in college football. I mean, he's young. I was always the youngest guy. Now I'm a, I'm the kind of, except for when I'm working with Rav, I'm the veteran guy. So hmm. you know, I see him, especially when we first started, I see, I saw his hunger and his, 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 his uh, desire for approval and his frailty and insecurity, his strength, his knowledge, his discipline, his work ethic, you know, he's a family man. You could see that he cared about his family and he wanted the best. Uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful human being. And to get to know him and to get to know his family and to get to know his wants and desires and to try to help him accomplish those things, it's been a, it's been a terrific ride. As opposed to a guy like Bill Raftery, who is older than me, who I've been working with for over 20 years, who I get a chance to learn from. Like I'm working with my dad and he imparts wisdom upon me about certain things. And I think it's wonderful. So... Everybody's different, but you just try to be friends initially and continue to work that forward. And hopefully you become like brothers. And when that happens, that's when the, the magic happens because you start thinking with the same brain. Is uh, Gus's Raftery still leaving bars at 3 a.m. or has he moved that up a little bit to 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. these days? Well, you know what? I'm not up when he's coming in. I'm in bed. I'm, <laughs> I'm the old man in that regard. So I don't know if it's two or three. But I know he has more than two or three, and he is enjoying his life and doing a great job. And, and he's, uh, he's the governor. He's America's guest. People love him. I love him. Like I said, like a dad, he says crazy stuff sometimes, and I, and I get on him. He gets on me, and uh, you know, Coach Raff is Coach Raff. There aren't uh, a lot of guys out there like him, and uh, 
and I don't think there will be. Gus, the uh, the last subject I want to hit on is soccer, and for those who <laughs> probably have forgotten already, Gus Johnson has done two Champions League finals, two FA Cup finals. He worked Champions League matches, did the Premier League, did Bundesliga matches featuring Bayern Munich. Um, Gus, I remember before you went off on this European journey that uh, we met in New York and talked about what was ahead. Um, now that you look back with a with a little bit of runway and a couple of years later, um, the fact that it didn't go all the way to the World Cup, still for you, you have to look at this as kind of like just an amazing adventure, right? I mean, you got to work in some of these venues and call some of these matches that I think soccer fans around the world could only dream of. You know what, Richard? That was the greatest experience of my professional life, aside from doing the Olympics in Nagano in 98. But it was longer. I mean, three years I spent over there. One year as an apprentice, and then two years actually calling the matches. I traveled everywhere in Europe. I traveled to Portugal, Lisbon, Manchester, London, Madrid, Barcelona, Munich, watching the best clubs in the world and the best players in the second most important uh, tournament, the Champions League, in the world, aside from the World Cup being number one. It was an incredible experience, something that I think about fondly all the time, just to be able to do that, going up in stadiums, calling games on gantries with the fans sitting right there with you on the scaffolding up in the sky. Um, I loved it. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I experienced incredible amounts of criticism, uh, which I think was good for me, was humbling for me, made me work harder. I put a lot into it. I tried my best. And I was, uh, not to steal a soccer term, but I was happy with the result. Uh, Hmm. Very happy. And I look back on it now, and I know that in 30 years, when I'm an old man, if I make it 30 years, it's, you know, this, that'll be a family legacy for me that, uh, that, uh, my family will be able to go back and say, Hey man, granddad or great granddad did this and that was over there in Europe doing, doing, you know, world football, and Cristiano Ronaldo and Leo Messi and Ian Robin, and Robin Van Persie and all these, these terrific players and terrific teams. And I remember going into, Real Madrid, sitting in their office, getting ready to interview uh, some coaches and looking up and seeing a picture of Franco, his Blancos. Mm. I mean, it it was a historical journey because I love history and I got a chance to really understand a lot of things that I never even thought about. Madrid and Barcelona, the Catalans and the beef that they had fascism and you know going to Italy and Lazio Mussolini's team you know it's you know the hooligans the it's just it was it, football, football it's just a fascinating sport uh, world football and and I had a chance to be a part of that unfortunately I didn't get a chance to go to the finish line but uh, for all intents and purposes as I said, it was the greatest professional experience of my life. Gus, uh, 
Who do you consider the most impactful person for you in broadcasting? Um, obviously, I know your dad was an incredible, important part of your life, but away from family, away from friends, who's the, been the singular most important person to you in your sports broadcasting career? That's an interesting question, something I've never really actually thought about. But uh, just off the top of my head, I think the let me see the most single important person in my career. I guess it would be the person that gave me my first job, a man by the name of Don Marion, who was the news director at hmm. my first station, KWXV TV, Channel Twenty Five in Waco, Texas. He gave me the first chance and the hardest job in this business getting on TV is to get that first job. Once you get your first job, you're in the game, but it's hard to get in the game. And and he saw something in me when I was a wee lad, 20 years old, hadn't even, you know, walked across the stage at Howard and he saw my tape and he knew I was inexperienced in a lot of different areas of shooting and editing and, producing and setting up live shots. But he said, you know what? I can teach you that. But he said, Don said that you have something that can't be taught. And that's what I see. And down the road, he even told me first month, he said, down the road, when you're a network announcer, you, you will remember these days and you will remember the things that you learned here and they will pace you for the, your entire career. Also had a great sports director, a man by the name of Ray Peters. And I was struggling my first year in Waco, the first six months, because I was struggling with the the editing and the shooting and the producing of my shows. And I went to an edit bay one time when he was editing and I went in there and I and I said, Ray, I'm struggling. I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep this job. And I broke down. I was in tears. I was 21. He said, okay, listen, I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to make the sacrifice and actually show you. And when you learn this, nobody will ever be able to take it away from you. And when you get up there with those network producers and directors that think they know everything, you'll know that you know more because you were here on the ground floor and you learned it and you got it honestly. And he did that. And Ray is still a good friend of mine. Every time I go do a game in Texas, he comes and sees me and we spend time together. So if I had to say one person or two people would be Don Marion, a former news director at KWXVTV in Waco, Texas, which is the, me the greatest job I ever had because it was my first. I was making sixteen thousand dollars a year eating Del Taco, Whataburger, yeah. and at Po Folks every day. And I was so happy. <laughs> um, and Ray Peters, my Oh, uh, that's a great uh that's a great memory and uh and a great way to end. Uh Gus Johnson, of course, is the um lead play by play voice for Fox Sports when it comes to their college football and college basketball coverage. He, his golfing buddy, Joe Klatt, Jenny Taft, uh, will be calling the opener of the Ryan Day era in Columbus, number 5 Ohio State against Lane Kiffin and FAU. That's 12 o'clock on Fox, Saturday, August 31st. Gus, it's great to catch up with you, man. Uh, I've always enjoyed our time together, 
I wish you nothing but the best of uh, success heading forward. And thanks for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Um, I want to get a shout out to Eric Shanks, my boss, who I think is doing a great job, who I really appreciate bringing me over to Fox and giving me the opportunities that he's given me. Um, he's a great man. He's kind and he's considerate and he's caring. And uh, that's a rarity. And also to my other bosses, Mark Silverman, who came over from the Big Ten Network and is now doing a wonderful job with us um, at Fox. And he's like the perfect fit. He's smooth, he's smart, and you know who's in charge. And uh, also our new executive producer, Brad Zager, who's young, who used to be my producer at the Pac-12 Championships. He's a Detroit cat like me, and uh, he knows all the ins and outs of it. And I, I really appreciate the triumvirate there that's working hard to make our lives better. And, uh, and I just want to shout him out and, and give him some attaboys. Absolutely. Keep that in there. All right, Gus, keep, uh, keep it up. Thanks so much for joining me today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, as I said at the top, and we thank Gus Johnson for uh, giving us uh, some extended time, I have Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. They are my colleagues, as uh, most people, I think, listening to this podcast will know at The Athletic. They're also the co-hosts of The Audible with Stu and Bruce, and you should check that podcast out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Google Play. They'll tell us wherever else it is. And they join us to talk a little bit of college football as the season starts. Bruce and Stu, welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks for having Thank us. Bruce, I'm just going to call you Brew for now on. I feel like that's a very cool nickname I've just given you in my my own my screw-up. Except in USC circles, there is a Brew, so I would be the second fiddle. So I don't know if that's good. Yeah. Feels a little too close to bro. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's start off with you, Bruce. Very, very much a top-line uh, intended open-ended question for you to sort of just go stream of consciousness. What are the biggest storylines this year for college football that college vo- football viewers should be paying attention to? Well, there's going to be the obvious, which is, are we going to get another Clemson? Are we going to get another Clemson, Alabama rematch? But beyond that, um, I think one of the more fascinating stories is what's going on in Ann Arbor with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, He has never beaten his arch rival as the head coach at Michigan over in Columbus. And now Urban Meyer's gone and Ryan, Ryan Day takes over. And I thought, you know, especially at the way last season finished for Michigan, complete thud. They get blown out uh, by Ohio State. When a lot of people I talked to, the coach in that conference, thought from playing both teams that this was going to be the year that Michigan was going to beat Ohio State. It didn't happen. And then they lost, you know, and got blown out at late in the game by Florida in the bowl game. So Jim Harbaugh makes a really bold move, and he hires Josh Gaddis, off the Alabama staff. Josh Gaddis is his new offensive coordinator. Josh Gaddis has never worked as a play caller or offensive coordinator before. Um, I did a big story on Gaddis in the athletic. The craziest part of this is Jim Harbaugh hired Josh Gaddis without even interviewing him. 
you know, he really trusted the intel he got. And I think how Josh Gaddis and how Michigan do this season, given the spotlight, given Jim Harbaugh is such a polarizing figure, to me is a huge story. I would say to me, you know, that is as big a, of, of a on-the-field storyline as, as there really is. And then on a, on a you know, maybe a, a regionalized thing, because I'm out here on the West Coast, what happens in the Pac-12, uh, that, program, that conference has been trending down for a while. They've had some miserable couple of years on the field and some really embarrassing years off the field. And the flagship uh, program there, USC, the AD Lynn Swan is in serious jeopardy of them pulling the plug on him with a new president taking over. And the head coach, Clay Helton, is in as much peril as, as, as Swan is. And they have a really rough first six games on their schedule. So to me, when those are two blood, blue blood programs, Michigan and USC, those are the ones that I think are, are going to be really fascinating to watch. Stu, same question. Well, this has been the off-season of the transfer portal that has kind of dominated conversations with, with not just guys transferring, but being able to play right away the next year. And, you know, nobody personifies that more than Jalen Hurts. We've never seen a situation like this where, I mean, this is a guy who started, uh, you know, consecutive national title games. You know, everybody knows him from his time at Alabama. He turns around, and now he's going to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma, the team that Alabama played in the playoff last year um, to, to go from one contender to another. Uh, and then just the added subplot of him following, you know, back-to-back Heisman winners at Oklahoma is fascinating to me as is uh, maybe to a little bit lesser extent, but Justin Fields, the five-star recruit who, you know, end of last season was playing for Georgia. He will start this season as Ohio state starting quarterback uh, you know, first first starting quarterback as Ryan Day takes over as head coach. So, and there are other, you know, there are plenty of other examples of that around the sport. But, you know, it's been a trend that's been uh, on the rise. But we've never seen anything quite like this with so many high profile guys changing sides. Uh, you know, basically becoming college football's version of free agency. Do I want to stay with you? And understanding that um, the, how you answer this question, how Bruce answers this question will be different given you both work for a national outlet. Bruce obviously also has his Fox gig, so he has access via uh, Fox's production meetings. But how would you view access for college football for a media member from the time you started in the business to today in 2019? It's The coaches have just become more and more paranoid over the years. Uh, I think Bruce and I enjoy a level of access. We're a little bit spoiled, um, you know, not just representing a national outlet, but you have, having done this as long as I have now for two decades, you have relationships with the schools and they trust me. And, you know, I can usually, if I'm flying in to a campus, they are going to do what they can to get the people that I need. But we have, you know, this, this small army of team beat writers now at The Athletic, and it's been pretty eye-opening to hear their stories of, in some cases, having almost, you know, next to no access, not just not being able to watch practice, but the school or the coach says, you know, you're going to get this person at this on this day and this person on this day, and that's it. But we have very talented writers and reporters who are trying to make the best of a situation where they have almost no firsthand access during the course of the week. I think it's unfortunate and frankly unnecessary because one of the more open programs is Clemson. So somehow having, you know, the media come in and see practice and 
talk to whoever they want has not kept them from winning two of the past three national championships. Bruce, do you want to uh, you want to take that as well, understanding that you have a um, you get unique access, of course, not only for the athletic, but because when you're working for a rights holder like Fox, you're going to be able to talk to the coaches and and players for the broadcast. Yeah, I mean, it certainly you know varies, and, and you're right. I mean, look with the Fox access. I mean, there's times where I will go out and be able to watch practice where I know some of my colleagues at the athletic who are on those beats don't aren't afforded that and part of that is because uh i work for fox sports and we are a broadcast partner of those conferences um so there's that piece of it and i agree with what Stu said i mean we definitely and and Stu's this way and certainly you know andy staples who works with us is this way and there's a handful of other people who i think you know been on the national beat and have built up a lot of relationships with a lot of people over time where even if you may not be able to quote them on the record because there's a handful of schools and a lot of these places come from this Nick Saban, Belichick world where the head coach is the only one who's really allowed to comment. So sometimes you know a lot of stuff, but you can't maybe, maybe can't put it in somebody's words or quote them because they're not allowed to speak on the record for it. It doesn't mean you can't get that perspective and that insight. I mean, and, and a lot of times that's even more invaluable because – those places are so limited into what people, what gets out of there. Um, so there is, so there is that side of it. And, uh, I, I do think, and this is an athletic, um, uh, comment. And so, you know, this is going to sound self-serving, but I do believe it. And I think it's real. Uh, I think what has helped our college football coverage is that so many other places, including the place the three of us all worked at, and I believe came to before the athletic, which is SI, have scaled back. They do not often or they rarely are able to send reporters out to campuses to get, you know, to do the digging on stories. You know, ESPN scaled back its coverage, ESPN.com scaled back its coverage considerably. Uh, Yahoo doesn't seem to do as much of that. You know, the USA Today doesn't seem to do as much of that. So I think what what that's done is created an environment where a lot of schools on the flip side of it are open to saying, hey, come on in. Um, we would we would love to have you, you know, if you're going to, you know, if you're interested in telling this story or this is, you know, if I, you know, I pitched a story a while back on a player at Cal, they were the last time I felt like I was I had so much access and cooperation from a school for a written story, I think I'd have to go back to when I worked at ESPN Magazine 10 years ago. You know, it's just, and I think a lot of that comes to either not just the trust that some of us have as reporters with some of these, you know, schools and gatekeepers, but I think some of it also is just because they know that there aren't many other places willing to, to take the time and, and spend the money to go to do these stories. You know, Stu, that's interesting. That's a really interesting point by Bruce, because as as places are scaling back, you know, sort of traditional legacy places that co- covered college football, conversely, um, the broadcast networks are scaling up. Fox is, I think, more much more heavily invested in college football this year, if nothing, uh, you know, let alone just the college football show that they have that's running against college game day. ESPN Plus has a ton of college football. We, we, you know, all you have to do is look at the ESPN schedule to get a sense of the tonnage of, of their game. So Stu, that leads me to a question for you. 
And that is, um, one, what do you think of the television coverage right now of college football? And again, very open-ended. And two, if you could, what would be the singular change that you would make if I made you, let's say, you know, commissioner, television commissioner of, foot, of college football? So, like you said, I mean, with the investment that, that Fox and ESPN have made, uh, you know, and we now have the ACC network joining the fold with the other conference networks. I mean, certainly there's never been more. There's never been more TV coverage of college football. There's never been more games on air. Um, so, I mean, I think the quality is, is very good. Now, you could maybe pick, oh, I don't like this broadcast crew as much as I like another broadcast crew. But for the most part, you know, I really admire uh, what the networks are doing. I think, um, if I, the, to your second point, you know, I think college – the, the college, uh, you know, sphere of this has been a little slow to embrace that times are changing and, and you don't have to just do uh, X coach, X player. And those are the only people that can talk about football on TV. And Bruce is a great example of that. You know, I know he, he would tell you like he, he wasn't going into this intending to be a sideline reporter uh, when Fox cut back on our travel for TV when I was still there. This was his way to still get back out there. And, you know, he's bringing an element because he covers this year round. He's not just parachuting in. He's bringing an element of he's bringing a level of depth that a lot of, you know, reporters aren't going to be able to bring. Um, I was really I got to give a lot of kudos to whoever made the decision to let Mina Kimes do preseason NFL games. As I listen to her podcast, I mean, she knows as much, if not more, about the NFL than any ex-player or ex-coach who would be talking about that on the air. So I would love to see a little bit more evolution in that standpoint where we see more, uh, I guess, non-traditional voices uh, showing up on, you know, both not just in game, but obviously in studio. Uh, I think the fans would welcome that. That's that's interesting, Stu, and I'm with you on – I like when networks decide to break up what has traditionally been ex-coach or player as the analyst – and, you know, certain traditional broadcaster. Um, you know, there'd be others who, you know, Turner tried to do a players-only broadcast with the NBA. It was pretty much castigated and criticized. But I admire the effort, at least. I admire changing it up. Bruce, the one thing um, that Stu said, while I agree with him, I have to be honest with you, sort of someone who watches this stuff and follows the landscape, college football is very, very traditional still when it comes to the archetype. It is still, generally speaking, uh, a coach or a former player in the analyst role. And most of the studio heads, you know, there's a traditional host who's a broadcaster and then it's, you know, it's former coach X and former player Y, you know, you know, it's a like Mac Brown type and, and, uh, you know, a, a, Matt, 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 uh, Mark Sanchez type, you know, former player. Do you see, do you ever see that breaking? Because it would take, I think it would take some uh, executives and producers to think outside of the box to blow that up. And I don't know if we have enough out there. I don't know. You know, it's possible people will try some things. Look, you know, it, it's hard, I think, for executives to look and go, wait a minute. Most people tuning in have no idea who this person is. I mean, and I'm not disagreeing with what Stu said or anything before, but I think, you know, we live in a Twitter bubble. And so a lot of us see somebody on Twitter and, you know, we know who that person is, but uh, the average fan may not know who that person is. They know who Kurt Warner is. 
they know who Troy Aikman is. They know who Tony Romo is, you know. Um, and so I think it's hard for somebody to say, hey, we're going to bring this guy in or this person in who, who they know a lot of people don't know. And then they're going to ride with it for, you know, maybe a year or two before they see if that person gets traction or gets comfortable. Because, you know, the other things that happen, and it, I think there's two different things here. I think studio is much more manageable. I've done both studio and games and studio is much more manageable. And I think probably more open to the wild card person than a game broadcast is because when a game broadcast happens, I think you do need somebody who has a high level of understanding of X and O's because when there's an interception or when there's something that has to go, has to be explained over a highlight, I mean, I feel like I follow college football as closely as anybody does, but I'm being perfectly honest. I do not have the level of understanding of coverages and scheme and fronts and what the quarterback's really supposed to be looking at that Brock Hewitt, who played it all his life and was in the NFL, has. I mean, I watch you know some of these broadcasts and hear some of these people who are breaking down replays and the stuff they're picking up. And I think it's hard to find somebody who didn't have that level of experience. I'm not even talking about somebody who may write an X and O breakdown for, you know, for a, for a website. I just think to do it in, in real time is hard. And so I, I could see it in studio because I think there's a little more, it's, it's, more scripted. There's more flexibility. You don't have to do some of that stuff. But when it comes to a game broadcast, I mean, you have to have somebody who really understands what they're seeing on all 22 at a high, high level and can do it fast. I think that Bruce, I think that's a, I think that's really well said. And I think that is a great point. The one thing I would say, while totally agreeing with Stu, that someone like Mia Kimes is a really interesting person to have on a broadcast. Football is the one sport or at least in terms of sort of the major sports where because of the nomenclature, because of uh, how many players are on the field, because of the complexity, there is value obviously in having somebody who played. It doesn't mean someone who didn't play can't do that job, but I do think it's harder to find a Tom Verducci type, let's say, to go into that spot as opposed to, like you said, a former player. Uh, Stu, I want to ask you... And I think it's different if you have that that third person, like I live in LA, so I heard some of the broadcasts with Mina, and but there was there was also you know I think it was a three person booth with right. her and Andrew Siciliano, whether it was Nate Burleson or somebody else to have that perspective. So your you know complimentary voice as opposed to well, here's what happened on that play. And now would some producer or executive producer say, hey, you know we're going to get away from that entirely. People don't need to hear, you know you know to hear that kind of breakdown. Then that's you know that's another question. No, I don't. I don't think you should ever do that. I mean, you definitely need, you know, no, like you know, you watch the SEC on CBS, and I know Gary Danielson can be kind of a polarizing figure, but nobody could dispute that, you know, 15 seconds after the play ends, he can tell you exactly, you know, who blew coverage and what blitz they were going to run, they were trying to run, and all that. So there's probably more opportunities in the studio. But you know, Bruce said earlier, people don't know who these two. Well. You know, there, whenever Mike Pereira first started as the officiating expert, no nobody watching at home knew who he was. But he just, I think we all agree, brings so much value to a broadcast. You know, he is definitely, 
he adds so much that it, it overcame the maybe lack of name recognition. So probably more opportunities in studio, you know, the, the, the Tuesday night uh, in college football, the Tuesday night playoff ranking show they do, where it's, um, you know, Herb Street and Joey Galloway and David Pollock, nothing against those guys, but, you know, I would have on Heather Dinich who, who talks to the committee members and covers the playoff, you know, year round. And they do use her on other ESPN shows, but that's who I'd want to hear from right after the new rankings come out. But, um, you know, it's going to take some some unorthodox thinking on the part of some people high up at those networks. Stu, let me stick with you as we finish up here. One of the things that's really interesting to me is the podcast market for college football. You guys, I feel like we're very early here. Uh, Solid Verbal was really early in terms of college, you know, national college football podcasts. I know that there obviously are a ton of local college football broadcasts specific to teams in that area. Can you give me a sense, too, of where you think the market is for college football podcasting? And do you feel that there's a lot of room left for both more national and local podcasts? Or do you think the market has been flooded at this point? First of all, credit to Solid Verbal. They are the, the godfathers of the college football podcast world. We came in a few years after that. Um, you know, I think the challenge with college football, as opposed to maybe the NBA or the NFL, is not everybody follows the whole country. You know, Bruce and I are, are talking about the Pac-12, the ACC, the Big Ten, but a lot of people only follow their team or their conference. And so what we're going to be doing here at The Athletic is uh, starting later this week, you know, we're going to roll out a bunch of team-specific podcasts. And I'm really uh, interested to see how that does because our writers that, that are going to be doing these are authorities on the, on the teams, obviously. Um, you know, our subscribers who follow those teams will be able to get these podcasts and you know, I think my hunch is there's more opportunity for growth there than maybe adding more and more uh, national ones. Whereas, you know, if you can, you, you know, I don't think there's any saturation point with NFL or NBA, especially when when sports where they where fantasy is big. You know, just by nature of that, fans need to follow the whole league. Um, yeah, everybody kind of has an eye on the playoff race in college football, but. You know, an Alabama fan doesn't need to know what's going on necessarily with Washington until the very end of the season. So uh, I think that's probably where you'll see some growth here in the next couple of years. All right, let's finish up with this, and I'll start with you, Bruce. And this is very much a, uh, you know, an athletic uh, question, certainly self-serving, but I also think at the same time interesting to people given, um, given uh, you know, our subscription numbers are growing. What, Bruce, for you, what college football stories have you seen work for The Athletic, both ones you've written and ones others have written? Uh, okay. Let me go really with the ones that others have written. I think, so first of all, what I think works really well at The Athletic, and I this has kind of happened organically where I've noticed it um, in a way that it may be counter to what most people would have thought is – People seem to gravitate when you take them all the way down the rabbit hole and take them in a place where like, it's like, wait a minute. I think a lot of traditional, you know, uh, media people might look at that, some editor and go, yeah, you know, that's way too deep or way too inside or way, you know, like let's, let's stick to something people can grasp. I uh, arguably to me, the best story I've read on the athletics since, since it's been around was a story our Iowa 
writer Scott Docterman did within the last two or three weeks talking about offensive line play with Iowa versus how it's done with Wisconsin. And it's a fantastic piece of reporting and writing. Um, and I think because I look, I cover college football, I cover the Big Ten, I've been around both of those programs. It, you know, when I feel like I'm learning stuff, I feel like these are that's that's a really good good job by the reporter, and I thought that was excellent. You know, we had a story I don't know it must have been six months ago by a writer for the Arizona site, Doug Haller, and it was about Pat Tillman and this iconic photo of you know Pat Tillman was obviously the great Arizona State player who who went to the NFL and then served our country um, in the military and then lost his life and. The story of Pat Tillman climbing to the light of uh, the light tower uh, up in Phoenix of, above the stadium was just a really fascinating piece to read. And I think what it comes back to is, you know, we, we've done some really good oral histories, which I feel like a lot of people do good oral histories. And, and they, the, the reader feels like he's, he, she is rewarded because of the time you spend in it. And it takes you in a place where, you know, it gives you just kind of a colorful feel about something you wondered about, but maybe didn't know the depths of. And so I feel like anytime, anytime writers can deliver that or give something where you feel like, okay, this, this is something that might've been covered to some degree, but I'm going to write the definitive story of it. And I like, that's the thing, the approach that I'm hoping that, you know, our staff all takes is like, all right, maybe somebody else has written about it, but I'm going to write the definitive story of it. Because I don't have to, I'm not beholden to a word count limit. I'm not beholden to, well, they said this story has to be in by Thursday and it's not done yet. So, you know, I I had a story a few months ago on the quarterback coach at Nebraska. He'd been written about and talked about before, but I appreciate that he was very patient with me on the reporting side of it. And it took a while, but I felt like I got a really, you know, fascinating story that you didn't have to be just a Nebraska football fan to care about. And, and again, I think it's just like, we're going to take you down the rabbit hole and we're going to, we're going to try to write the definitive story on this topic. And I think that, you know, the reader's rewarded when you approach it that way. Stu, do you want to uh, offer some thoughts on that? Well, I mean, Bruce is right. The readers are smart and they want to, they, they're, they're always going to be interested to learn more about their favorite sport, their favorite team, uh, the coaches, the players. So, you know, we definitely see a response. It's, well, we, we say, you know, it's, it's so refreshing that, you know, you can just see there's a one-to-one correlation between, you know, the more in-depth the reporting uh, and writing, the, the more people read it and subscribe for it. Um, now we still do, and, and me in particular, you know, I still do bowl projections and Bruce and I are going to, do our picks against the spread. And yeah, that's something that lots of people do, but it's fun and people like it. And, you know, you wouldn't have a college, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do a college football site and not have that kind of stuff on there. Heisman, you know, straw poll during the season. Uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a uh, deeply reported, very rich stories that, that take you on angles that, that other places aren't necessarily doing that, you know, just they really resonate. They really uh, set it apart. We did a, a few weeks ago, we did a whole series on revisiting conference realignment, uh, all the events from earlier this decade. And, and not just, you know, I mean, everybody knows which schools changed conferences, but with a little bit of distance, 
people were able to, uh, you know, Andy Staples was able to talk to everybody that was involved in, in Texas A&M moving to the SEC, none of whom are there now. So they can talk a little more candidly nine years later. And it's the definitive account of how that came to be. Uh, people love that stuff as we would expect them to. So obviously we're, we're all very fortunate to be at a place where it gives you the time and the resources to do that. Bruce Feldman is a national college football writer for The Athletic, also a reporter for Fox Sports and FS1. Stuart Mandel is a national football writer for The Athletic. They are the co-hosts of The Audible with Stu and Bruce. Check that out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Pod, Google Play, I should say, uh, and uh, wherever else you get your fine podcasts. Guys, thank you very much for popping on the Sports Media Podcast today. Have a uh, great college football season, and uh, I will see you on our Slack channels. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Stu. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, Gus Johnson, Stuart Mandel, and Bruce Feldman for their time. Previous podcast guests, if you enjoy this kind of content, right before this one, we had a conversation with Ben Strauss of the Washington Post on ESPN's uh, changing studio coverage, Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor in for Michelle Beadle, as well as uh, the coverage of women's sports this summer and whether it uh, portends to better things ahead in terms of that coverage or not. I think you'll enjoy that. Before that, Don Van Natta, ESPN's investigative reporter, and Chelsea James of the Washington Post, who went from being a Nationals beat writer to covering the Kamala Harris campaign. And then just go down the list, John O'Rand on NFL and college football viewership, James Andrew Miller and Jim Trotter on Dan Levitard and ESPN. Had a boxing round table with uh, Mike Coppinger and Lance Pugmire. Before that, Conrad Thompson, the uh, wrestling podfather, Bob Lee, for his exit interview. And uh, the list goes on and on. Taylor Twelman, Jim Ross, Taylor Rooks, Paul Heyman, Renee Young, etc., etc. If you like this kind of content, please leave us a review and a comment. That is how it uh, sticks around. All right, my thanks to Patrick, as always, for producing this. Thank you to Cadence 13, Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott, etc. Uh, we got some good stuff coming heading forward, and we'll see you soon on the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast.